0: Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, I'm Julie Gunlock, director of the Culture of Alarmism Project at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. This is the second podcast in a series I've been doing on the subject of reasonable moms and what it means to be a reasonable mom. The Independent Women's Forum will be hosting an event on October 19th in Washington, D.C. called Reasonable Moms Unite, how we push back on the culture that demands we worry about everything. If you're interested in attending the event, go to IWF.org and click on the events button at the top of the page. You'll find all the details there and can also RSVP. So today, I'm here talking to a good friend and a very reasonable mom, Coven Synapathy. Coven, thanks for coming on.
1: Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Kevin is a mom of two. She lives in Madison, Wisconsin. She is the co-executive director of the March Against Myths project. Kevin, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about that. Um, she's a public speaker, a Forbes contributor. She's a writer at Grounded Parents and all over the place. She writes and it's published all over. Um, and she's, off, she's the author of a terrific book, The Fear Babe Shattering Zani Hari's Glass House, She can tell us a little bit about her book as well. So, welcome, Coven, again, and maybe we can start off um, talking about what reasonableness means to you. Um, I'm going to touch on an op-ed that I have in the the Huffington Post this morning, where I talk about that moms are characterized as usually they're characterized as good moms and bad moms. I'm sure you saw the movie Bad Moms, um, which also kind of kind of promoted that idea that you're either a good mom or a bad mom, and so in, in the Huffington Post this morning, I have this piece that it's a call for a new category, and that is reasonable moms. And I define that as, as moms who, you know, they do their best. They don't obsess about labels or parenting advice. They, they like having time on their own. They don't want to be with their kids all the time. Um, and, 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 you know, they, they don't get too freaked out about a lot of the, the fear-based messaging out there. So I've always found you to be a reasonable mom, but tell me, tell me what, you, what that means to you.
1: Right. Well, it's something that I I continue to learn. My kids are five and three, so I guess um, I haven't been at it as long as other people. But everything you touched on um, is is absolutely right. Um, being a reasonable mom means thinking critically, um, trying not to freak out or minimize the freaking out, especially when it comes to fear-based and fact-scarce messaging that we see on the internet and and in the media. But also I'd add one more thing, and I'm sure, um, actually I know you agree with this, is to reduce the judgment that we place on other moms for not adhering to certain tenets of certain um, uh, parenting ideologies. So all of those kind of come together um, to, to create this reasonable mom.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's such a good point. I'm glad you brought that up about sort of mom shaming. I, I You know, I, I think that shaming is something um, that happens sort of between two people. Like you can be talking to a mom and sort of, uh, you know, pass on a bit of judgment about maybe their parenting decisions or, or sort of gasp or, or feign surprise when they say that they do a certain thing or act in a certain way. But shaming has become, I would say institutionalized. It's almost become common now among activist organizations and certain mommy bloggers to try to push women to do certain things. Um, and, and that, and not because, you know, it's, a, it's really a better way to do, but to do it or to shop or to feed your kids, but because they're trying to guilt women, um, by suggesting one way is better than the other. I mean, what are the kind of shaming, what kind of shaming do you, do you see out there that's more organized by these activist organizations?
1: Oh yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, it's institutionalized. Like you said, it used to be kind of one on one, but now it's yeah, it's everywhere, and it's also sort of commercialized. Depending where you look, I mean, marketers use this mom shaming all the time to to sell their wares. You know, whether it's um, organic or non-GMO food items to um, to clothing or 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 you know the the best stroller. You know, good moms yeah, yeah. use strollers that face a certain way or or whatnot. But then, you know, moms also judge each other. I think the institutionalized shaming and the commercialized shaming really... um, women internalize it and you see this all over the mom forums and the parenting forums. But I mean it it even has, has become part of how we see our bodies, you know, if we didn't birth a certain way or, or yeah. you know, without pain medication, then then we didn't try hard enough. And it, it almost reduces us to our to our biology and almost an animal state. You know, we're, we're modern women, we're intellectual, we have careers. And yet, you know, we're, we're judging ourselves and others on whether we breastfed for a certain amount of time right. or gave Birth in a certain way, it's it's kind of primitive, if you ask me.
0: It it is primitive, and it's so, it's such a great segue into something I wanted to talk to you about. You and I write on very similar subjects. On, um, I heard someone described uh, you as um, I, I'm not going to say right. They called you like a junk science fighter or a woo fighter. What was it they always say about? Oh, I see.
1: I see woo fighter a lot, and that's. Yeah. Um, that's not just me, but, yeah, there's a great group of, of women, like, including us on the Internet, that kind of um, combat this this yeah, mom and, shaming, and, this...
0: and it's, it's a gra- it, it is a great community of women who politically may not agree on everything. I mean, I don't think you and I agree on sort of mandatory paid leave issues or, like, police right. police taxation or health care. <laughs> like we probably have vastly different opinions on Obamacare. However, on these things, like vaccines, and the natural parenting trend, and, and if, if organic is better, and the GMO issues, certainly, we agree, and so it's kind of nice to find those areas, but you wrote a really important piece. I, I want to I mention it. I really want to encourage anyone listening to go and find it. It's on Forbes. Um, Ke- uh, Kevin is a, is a contributor to Forbes. She has a ton of articles up on Forbes, uh, as I mentioned, as well as other places, so check her out on Forbes, but this one is really, it really touched me, really meant a lot to me. It was three ways. That natural parenting movement dehumanizes women. Um, you know, you you talk about. Uh, I'm going to read a, a, a little a little bit here. It says um, with mm-hmm. early re- with er- sorry with early roots in attachment theory, initially based on primate research and observation of cultures in the developing world. Those who follow natural parenting make appeal to vaguely non-Western traditions, whether or not these traditions are widely practiced or proven beneficial. Much of what people think is natural parenting isn't really what nature intended or what indigenous people did at all. Rather, it's the romanticized version of natural. Tell me a little bit more about this article. It's just a great piece and, and what you think are the dangers of this trend.
1: Right. I mean, well... Um... A lot of women think or believe or, or those who lead this natural parenting movement will argue that natural parenting, and this is in quotes because, you know, what does natural parenting really yeah. mean, but they'll argue that natural parenting is feminist and it empowers women, but it really kind of reduces us, again, to, to our biology, and we might as well not even call it natural parenting. It's natural mothering because most of this falls on the mom, not on on um, the dad or you, you know, the, the right. female parent. And so um, this article highlights three ways, although there, there are so many other ways, that natural parenting actually dehumanizes women. Now, that's not to say that any of these practices aren't valuable or worthwhile. I mean, um, if you want to give birth without an epidural or naturally, then then by all means have at it, although I would argue against giving birth at home, you know, or, or out in the wilderness, yeah. Or, um, you know, or if you choose to breastfeed, that's great. I mean, I, I, I breastfed my kids. But um, when, when these become tenants or demands, and if you don't do these things, you're, you're a bad mom, and even more so, you're not a real woman. I mean, you see that come up a lot. Then that's when you get into this dehumanizing of women territory.
0: Yeah, it, it it really is um, interesting, and, and you know, Kevin kind of was saying, I wouldn't suggest giving birth at home or in a or out in in the wilderness, and and that seems like a joke, but there actually was a Daily Mail article a couple months ago about a woman who gave birth in a stream um, because she wanted to be closer to nature. So um, it, <laughs> people, do yeah. These, yeah, people do take these people do take these. These uh, these trends to extremes, um, and and more more you know, sort of closer to home or, or or something that we all see is the idea of of the natural. I actually went to a natural moms conference um, this weekend, and um, I actually I posted a, an article about it, um, and met a mom who is a natural mom. She considers herself um, a proponent of, of sort of natural parenting. Uh, we had a very good interaction. It, it was it was interesting to talk to her and um, and find common ground. But I will say what I saw at that conference deeply disturbed me. Um, there was a vendor area where I walked around and and you know listened to sort of the sales pitches of these uh, of, of these vendors. And you know it was the typical you know if it's not organic, it's going to harm your child. If it has GMOs, it's going to harm your child. I had one conversation with a woman who makes crackers who told me that the reason people are having problems uh, with gluten intolerance is because GMO wheat, uh, you and I both know, GMO wheat is not in the marketplace. Um, So Mm -hmm. the misinformation, the bad science, just junk that was being promoted to these women who all have mommy blogs and are all going to go home. And this is the other interesting thing, Kevin, and I want to talk to you about this because I know you and I have both been accused of sort of being shills. Um, and if, if, li- if listeners don't understand that, it's sort of the, the, the term means paid to say what you say. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sitting there at this Natural Moms uh, event, and all these vendors are giving away these food products, and, and, and these moms are saying, hey, you should advertise on my blog. Um, you rarely get people accused on the natural side of things, organic side of things, accused of this. And here I am. I saw this happening before my eyes, where moms were trying to get these companies to advertise on their blogs. Um, and for that, they would give a good review of the product. So it's kind of interesting to witness that on the other side. I'm sure I'm sure you've been accused of that as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm accused of it, usually at least once a day. Now, um, I, I, I think it's important that we make the point, and I know you agree that, number one, all these the majority of these product, um, products, I'm sure I wasn't there, but the products touting themselves as natural aren't even natural. I mean, these aren't like the the indigenous, you know, that thousands of year old kind of way that people used to eat. These aren't packaged organic crackers. But, um, oh, yeah, the the shilling thing is, is very interesting because um, while I'm paid for my writing um, for the outlets that, that I write for, I'm certainly not paid to express the, the thoughts or facts that I, that I express. And so this double standard is, is mind boggling where, you know, especially the, this organic movement, these mommy bloggers are clearly in cahoots with these companies, whereas I mean, no matter how many times I repeat it, um, I still get those shell accusations, but what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, it's frustrating. And, and and honestly, you know, I think some moms that were at this this conference certainly truly believe in what they what they say. I don't think that they're just I, I you know, I don't want to be sort of similar to the other side where I say, Oh, they're just paid off to save these things. Yeah. There's true belief there. Um but what's sad is that, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this in the past, is that these demands that you buy very expensive organic food. And you know, there's all these articles like how to how to buy organic on a budget. And I mean, usually it involves sacrificing other things. Um, you, you're a mom of two kids and I know they're younger. Mine are a little bit older. I have nine, um, eight and, and six and they're starting to get into sports. I mean, my gosh, the equipment and, and just the registration fees that I'm paying, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's so expensive. And, you know, I think about the moms who, who live at or under the poverty line. I do not live at or under the poverty line. I live above the poverty line, at well above the poverty line, and I can shop at Whole Foods, although I choose not to. I can't sh- shop every day at Whole Foods, but, you know, I, I can go there, and I think about these moms who live at or under the poverty line, really struggling financially, have all these other demands, sports demands and activities, and they spend that, those scarce resources on organic food. That's where I, I don't care about the moms I see it pickup who might head off to Whole Foods to buy line-caught salmon. You know, I care about the ones who are really struggling hear these messages that they're harming their kids by buying conventional strawberries. I mean, buy more expensive stuff. And I think it's really important. That's what the Reasonable Mom Project is. That's what the culture of alarmism is. That's what, what Coven does. Um, what you do so effectively is taking the guilt out of these things and telling mom there are other choices. Women need choices, should have choices, and should have facts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, that that point about women who, who aren't as privileged as we are um, and don't have our means, I mean, that's what really hits home for me. I also could afford to shop, um, buy organic if I wanted to, and I'm accused all the time of secretly buying organic which which I don't but um, but I wrote I wrote an article for for slate actually about um, about a certain petition asking the government to, to allow snap benefits online and the groups pushing for this petition are, are um, online marketers of organic fare and there are yeah. so many people who use these these um, snap benefits who are saying oh I wish I could um, I could buy these these organic things online, but, but you don't take my benefits. I really want to feed my my family healthy food, but it's just really hard on my low budget. And it, it was tragic. I mean, whether or not um, right. w- we believe that SNAP benefits are a good thing. I mean, it's sad when people who can't afford their basic needs are worried about about the fact that they can't afford organic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Listen, Coven, you are such a always a breath of fresh air. Always such a reasonable person to talk to, and I'm so thrilled that you you came on today to to talk about being a reasonable mom. Um, you are a, re- a reasonable mom. I know a lot of your followers are reasonable moms, and so we're just thrilled that you came on. I wish you could come to the event in Washington on the 19th. It'd be fun to see you. But um, but we will have more events, and hopefully, we can have you come speak at an IWF event soon.
1: Oh, yeah, I wish I could be there, too, because I know your events are awesome and everyone listening should go, and I look forward to attending one soon.
0: (laughs) As I always say, there's always free booze. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, All right, well, listen, Kevin, again, thank you very much. Um, Kevin, can you just quickly tell where people can find you, if there's uh, your Twitter handle and some other information about where to find your writing?
1: Yeah, so again, um, I contribute a lot to Forbes as well as, as other outlets, but my Twitter handle is at KSENAPATHY, K-S-E-N-A-P-A-T-H-Y. And I also have a very dynamic and um, interesting, <laughs> if you will, conversation on my public Facebook page, which is, um, you can just search my name, Coven Synopathy.
0: She has a very cool picture of her wielding a sword, a sword of science. Yes so she can't be missed, And like, 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 like myself, Julie Gunlock, um, Coven has a kind of a unique name, so I bet there aren't a lot of Coven synapathies out there, so you'll probably yep. easily find her on Facebook.
1: Um you can't listen,
0: miss me. Th- <laughs> Thanks again <laughs> for coming on. This has been another edition of the Working for Women podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.